Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my connectfulness counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. So I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Terry Delaney, a trauma therapist and relational skills educator out of Minneapolis. Welcome, Terry. Hi, Rebecca. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad that you're here with me. Thank you. Oh, we've been having such a delicious conversation before hitting record. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to kind of work backwards with you a little bit, but this is all new for our listeners. Um, One of the big things that we want to talk about here today is adulting and the skills class that you teach around adulting. But before we even get to that, can we take a step back from that? And like, why do we need to learn this? What precedes people kind of getting to the point of like, oh, wait, that's something I need to learn. (laughs) Like what, what comes first? Such a good question. You know, the for well, uh, I guess I could speak for myself, but also folks who come to the class. Generally, it's because something's not working, mm-hmm. and something's not working in a very repetitive and predictable way. Um, we keep taking on too many things. We still haven't figured out how to do self care. Oh, we're not using boundaries. We, we're having trouble saying no. Or if you and that's if you're more self-reflective or if you're a person who falls more into blaming other people are so frustrating. They never listen. They don't respect what I think of as boundaries, which interestingly usually aren't actually boundaries, (laughs) but this idea that things are not working the way it was supposed to, things don't feel right. I don't feel close to people. What This is all there is to life. I mean, I also find for a lot of people, there's sort of like this moment of this is not how it is supposed to be. Like right. I'm supposed to be feeling better, more self-assured and more 
like I belong or something like something is not right. So there's this reckoning. There's some kind of reckoning of like, I want more, better, different. Or at least, even if you don't have that clarity, it should not be this way. This, it should not be know, like this. This right. hellish thing that's happening is absolutely not not what I signed up for. Maybe there's something else. Maybe there's another yes. option. Yeah. 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 And so, so I'm just kind of noticing within myself, like, you know, I, I have uh, studied some very similar paths as you. And in my own learning, And in the work that I do with my people, and I'm sure this is true for you, getting to that point involves so much grief. And I just want to hold that for a moment and acknowledge that together. Because there's truth there. That's so true. Wanting, there's this idea that And I think a lot of people don't understand where it's coming from, but this idea that things should be different and not understanding that it may be because we're doing patterns that helped us be okay in our childhood, but they're actually creating, almost adding to the sense of loss, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And so feeling the sense that really, really landing that things are not, this isn't working out like I hoped. And then not looking around and not seeing any good examples of leadership. Like, right, recollectively, how our culture is doing success or successing or what even the, the pop culture idea of what adulting is. You know, that those things aren't actually fulfilling. Such, it's, that hits. It like, does. Oh, it doesn't work. I mean, right. So for example, the pop culture idea of, of self-care, right? In pop culture, self-care is what? Treat yourself. Calgon, <laughs> take me away. Right. The idea <laughs> that, that doing, uh, you know, and, and we're going to be talking today about this functional adult model that I learned from Pia Melody. And Pia talks about how self-care is not the want to's. It's not doing a treat. Self-care actually kind of sucks. It's going to bed early. It's watching one episode of a show, not 15, right? (laughs) Not, you know, right? It's 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 not indulgent. It is not. It's it's moderately indulgent, right? (laughs) But it's about hitting these needs, right? For our bodies, for our hearts, for our minds, communally, socially. And that doesn't sell products. And so right. really it's about, I think, facing, holy crap, we've literally been sold a bill of goods. Literally. Literally. And this disillusionment of where are our healthy functional adult leaders? Like, why is no one showing me how to finish growing up? And the pain of that. And oh, I just want to feel it right now. I, in my I feel gut. it. I feel it I too. Just, and I hear as you're saying, why is no one showing me how to finish growing up, right? Like there's that right there in, in that question, there's, there's a few pieces because there's this like, I, I need, I still need mentoring. 
right? And maybe it's not even that I still need it, but it's that I need it because. Or I never had it. Right, right. Well, that's where I was kind of going with the because, right? Like I need it because I didn't really have it. Yeah, right. like like I, if I had that mentoring all throughout my growing up years sufficiently, would I need it now? No, you'd have an internalized functional adult inside of you. And instead we've internalized, um, I think where we're at as humanity, like where we're at overall, like how, like the human being organism, like how we've grown socially and culturally, we're kind of in our adolescence. We really are. (laughs) We really are. Who's supposed to be parenting us? So the, the, right. And who's supposed to be parenting us is ourselves. Yes. And that is. That is so lonely. Oh, it actually, it's incredibly lonely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, even just that example of self-care, it's sort of like a big bummer. Like yeah. when we make the healthy choice and we're skillful and we're not blaming other people and we're not indulging or we're not reacting, we're just sitting with it in that pain, knowing, oh, I'm going to actually have to just process this. <sighs> There is like an existential kind of loneliness about that. There really is. Yeah. Yeah. So why would we do this? <laughs> why? Why? What? Tell me again. Why do we do this? <laughs> right. Well, I'll tell you, you know, so I have found out before we get into that, I guess I should say. So what I learned, um, and we both trained with Terry Real. I trained mm-hmm. with him. Uh, holy smokes. 12 years. Could that be? It could be. Uh, Oh, wow. It was before my daughter. So anyway, yeah. Um, what I, Terry Rowe was talking a lot about this person, Pia Melody, like his mentor. And when I, and then I knew some therapists here in Minnesota, I live in Minneapolis, um, who had trained with her and were offering these trauma intensives where you could learn about basically go deep into what it was like growing up in your family of origin. Mm -hmm. Look at the templates you learned. And how you adapted to be okay there. And then what happens when you try to do that stuff in your adult life with people who don't know those rules and people who don't have those, they have different dysfunctions, right? Not those dysfunctions. It's it's, it's other. Yeah. 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 And when I learned about it, I was like, what is this? Right. And so I, you know, booked a ticket and flew down to the meadows and trained with Pia and she blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had this set of skills that that one would learn if you grew up in a family with a with skillful, good enough parenting, where your parents are affirming, where they're uh, nurturing, nurturing, and this is key, and they also set loving limits, right? All three. If they're hitting all three of those, where you've got a parent who really wants to know your heart and mind, has enough presence and ability to show up and be interested in you right? And they're able to tell you no, and they're able to teach you how to accept a no. And they're able to teach you how to take, at first they do all of your care and then they teach you how to take it over, right? What I just described, like, I don't know what unicorn is doing that amazing parenting, (laughs) but even anything close to that, the idea was that if you got those basic things, you would internalize that. And then you would be doing that towards yourself, affirming mm-hmm. yourself, nurturing yourself, doing good self-care, and setting loving limits. And most of the folks I know 
they got maybe one of those. Right. 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 Maybe. Right. But that's it. Like, I don't like, and I'm looking around saying, where's the modeling for this? Or where are the teachers that are doing this? And I'm pretty hard pressed, Rebecca, to to like just name or someone who hasn't learned this, especially learned this model, just to pick out of my mind, like a leader or someone, you know, a role model who's just embodying all of those things at the same time. I don't want to be dismissive of others that I haven't met or encountered or read. Um, but the only other teacher I found in that realm so far is Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, mm-hmm. right? And so, so like that's the other place. And, and I know when I first started studying with her, my experience was like I felt like I just found a mother, mm. like with a capital M, not a, you know, yeah. Oh, but, I got you. Right. So it was like a similar kind of, oh, this is what I didn't get that I needed. This is speaking so- to that part of my soul. I feel just a a warmth spreading in my chest, Rebecca. I don't think I've said Mm -hmm. this before, like, but like, I, I, even though I don't mean it in like the child adult sense, like I like wanted Pia to be my mother. Yes. It's like, I need to spend as much time as you as possible. Like, so in the breaks of the training, I'd like just stand near her and like, you know, we're at the snack table. I'm just like trying to soak up like something yeah. Right? in the way the training worked was you, um, she was teaching these skills, which were mind blowing. And we're going to talk about some of them today. Right. But she was teaching these skills. And then there was this time where you actually partner with someone else in the training and you go through your family history and she'd come and watch your work and like comment. And I'm, I don't know that I've admitted this in public before, but I always arranged it. And there was another instructor with her, but I always arranged it. So I got to be the quote client when she was around so that she could help me. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And she's a real, hand, she was a hands-on, she's, she's retired now, but she was very hands-on and how she did the training. And I was like, always trying to engineer it so that I could get some feedback about my life. So she could help me make sense of it. I'm oh, like, this oh, is the person, yeah. yes, this person is going to help me put it together. I totally get it. And you know, one of the, I'll, I'll share, I'll share this. One of the reasons that I felt the way that I did with Dr. Estes is because every night in, in our residential trainings, she'd call us into circle and she would tell us stories. And right before she did like kind of, you know, like bedtime stories almost. And right before she did, she'd remind us that like, we could go take care of ourselves. We could go use the bathroom. We could get up and get water. Like those types of little self-care rituals, the reminders for them. It's like, oh, that's actually what I came here for. Like, not that I really needed to be reminded of those things, but that degree of care and tending is part of, I think, what we're actually going to be talking about here today. Absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. funny you say that. I know it's not probably officially what you went there for, right. but to have someone show up relationally and offer right. caring that isn't caretaking, mm-hmm. but caring that assumes that if that, that you are able to take care of yourself. And here's this little nudge. Yeah. Here's this little nudge to go do it and permission given. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up in a home where it felt like I, I needed to not be a kid with needs. Mm-hmm. I needed to hurry up and grow up and show up for the people in my family. And in that way, being invited to pause and go get a drink of water, or take a break, like right. I could just weep. Right. Like, yeah. And my heart. I grew up in a home being the problem. Right. So whatever other problems may have been present in the home were deflected onto me. So 
it, it was just, it was a different way of still not getting that. What's going on for you, right? That, that kind of nudge towards, let's check in with you and see what you need right here. And in fact, so it sounds like if you experience scapegoating, like the idea was the way you help the family was by being the problem. Yes, totally. And so then when are you supposed to receive caring or when are you supposed to care for yourself? If in a way you help the family by acting out, by depriving yourself, yeah. by being mean to yourself, it taught All you of those things. to reject your humanity, yeah. which I mean, I'm not surprised because clearly you've done a lot of recovery work. But holy smokes, Rebecca, in these podcasts, you do such a wonderful job of modeling compassion and care. I think it's really a testament to your recovery. Well, and and I'll be honest, I'm really good at modeling it for other people. And it's more of a it's more work <laughs> for me to practice it in my own life. I'm with it's, you. You know, like I'm that's my edge, and it will be my ongoing practice, but I'm committed to it. Awesome. Yeah. I hear you. I, yeah. And I believe you. Yeah. It feels inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, so, so should we dive in? So let's talk about this functional adult thing, shall yeah, we? I would love like, to. What, is, what does that really mean? First of all, it involves having a witness in board. I know mm-hmm. that probably a lot of your listeners have heard about either mindfulness or the prefrontal cortex. I don't want to use too much slang, but it's when we, ha- when I'm in my functional adult, I am in the part of myself, right? I am connected to the part of me that is actually aware of myself. So I'm looking at myself, I'm observing myself, what I'm doing without judgment. Which is so key. Like, and let's just, right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I I often say that there's a flip between like you've judgment here and the opposite of judgment is curiosity. Oh, I love that that too. No, I don't never said it quite like that. I just pause here. So I love that. It is curiosity. But people often say to me, well, wait, I can't have opinions. And so the substitute word I like to use is when you're not judging, but you're, uh, you're assessing. Yes. You're assessing, right. You're, you're able to actually discern and say, I like that. I don't like that. That's for me. That's not for me. That's assessment. Judgment is that's good. That's bad. It's literally standing in the judge position. Yep. And just sidebar from a somatic perspective. Judgment is a kind of flight response, right? How do I get some distance from this thing I don't like? I judge it. And in judging it, I'm saying I'm different from that or better than that. It's a it's this one up stance. Right. 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 So we're or in I'm our not functional- good enough. Oh, same. Yes. Judging it as that's better than me and I'm inferior. Thank you. I'll yeah. keep reminding me of that. Because I often talk so much of the harm we cause is from the one up place, but it's important to remember it's equally destructive in our relationships to be putting other people on a pedestal and for us to be feeling less than. Yeah. We need to be saying that. So it's um, observing yourself without judgment and choosing your behavior, choosing my behavior instead of reacting based on my values and basic respect for myself and others. So I'll say it again. The functional adult is when we're in this observational state, curious, non-judgmental actually picking how we're behaving versus being in a full-blown reaction and doing it with this key tenant. You know, I tell people in the class, um, you, I want you to use a listening boundary. And actually, we should tell your listeners this. Everything yep. you're hearing in this podcast today, what I want you to do is imagine you have a catcher's net and you catch it in your hand. And you're like, okay, 
That's what Rebecca thinks, or that's what Terry thinks. And then I want you to ask yourself, what do I think? And if it's something that you want to let in, you can open up your boundary and let that in. But if it's not, you can just set it down. Or you can write it down or put it over here as something to consider. You don't have to whip it back at people, but you can just sort of set it aside. And so I tell people in the class, here's the thing. I want you to catch everything I'm saying in the class with this listening boundary. You don't have to let any of it in. This is just what Terry's saying. I'm no expert. I'm a person trying to muddle through just like you. But the one thing that is, I just want to tell you, the whole class is just going to seem like garbage to you if you don't let this one thing in. And the one thing I really want you to let in is that everyone has inherent worth, Mm -hmm. that I'm worthy and you're worthy, that we are same as, that my gifts don't make me worth more than you and my weaknesses don't make me worth less than you. And if you keep that out, this whole class, like this class is going to be a big bummer. Right. I I often, I often kind of just to add on to that, what I often tell my people is there's nothing that you can do that will add to or subtract from that worth. Mm, That's beautiful. Right. Right. And so for everyone listening, catch that. And I just, I want to nudge you to let it in. Yeah. Let it in that that might be true. And how wonderful would it be if that's true? So that's the one piece. So now everything else I talk about today, if you're listening and you're like, whatever, lady, that's not boundaries. Or I don't agree that everyone has their own reality. Fine. But if all you take away from this podcast interview is that my worth is inherent and, and so is everyone else's, that we, oh. we are same as I matter. And if that's it, I'm going to feel really, really happy. And that's great. That This is like, I mean, this is what drew me into RLT work, right? Because Pia was was Terry's mentor. And so this is inherent in RLT teachings. I keep feeling like this right here is the nugget that can like change all of us, that can change the world. If we could all just embody this piece about inherent worth. Imagine what would happen. Well, and then here's something super sad. Pia says that if you didn't grow up with a sense of inherent worth, be prepared for something very dreadful. Um, he <laughs> says that if you didn't grow up with a sense of inherent worth and you decide you want to work on it, you're going to really try to claim your inherent worth, that it takes about 10 years. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. No, I haven't that heard that, time. but it makes so much sense. And I kind of can track where I am now. <laughs> Terrible. Like, and, and a lot of us can easily see, oh yeah, my children are worthy or my friends yeah. are worthy. But to really pull that worth into the self, it's so, it, 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 intellectually we can get it, but to have that felt sense of, I don't need to earn my place on the planet. Yeah. It's not what I do. It's not what I have. Even though all the messages around us mm-hmm. are saying you're worthy of people like you. You're worthy yeah. if you have money. You're worthy if you're traditionally successful. You're worthy if you're traditionally beautiful. You're worthy if you fit one of these agent groups in our kind of hierarchy of oppression. Like all those messages are coming in saying that, and also this concept too, we have in pop psychology that you can raise or lower your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Like Pia says that whole thing's garbage. She's like, no, no, that's just, that's not even true. Yeah. You can't raise someone's self-esteem. She says, Self-esteem, self-worth, self-love, those are all identical. That self-esteem, self-worth, self-love, self-valuing, either you're in touch with the truth or you're not. 
And the truth is that you're worthy. And so when you're wait, talking wait, wait, slow, about- slow, slow, slow down. Yeah, yeah. Cause that's, that's like, I want us to like digest <laughs> that. So you're either in, tr- in touch with the truth or you're not. Yes. And the truth you're is that you're worthy. The, that's the truth. Yeah. You're inherently you're worthy, worthy because you're breathing. Do you, do you get it? Like you are inherently worthy. Yeah. Right now. And either you're in touch with that or you're not. And it's okay if you're not, you're still worthy. Yeah. You've always been worthy. I mean, let's just take a baby. Like if I pulled out a baby right now, like from my, say my neighbor, you know, had a baby and I brought her over, my child older, but I was like, look at this baby. This baby doesn't contribute to the GDP. This baby doesn't clean my house. Do you think this baby has worth? What would you say? Of course it does. Of course it does. And that seems readily apparent to most of us. Well, you're, you're that baby. Same body. You were a baby and you got older. Are we saying that people lose worth because they become children? Because they become teenagers? Mm-hmm. Because they become adults? No, we just got deluded. Nothing changed. Nothing. You are that beautiful, worthy baby in a, in a big person body. If the baby doesn't have to contribute, you don't have to contribute to be worthy. Now, and I know there's some people that are saying, well, wait, 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 you're saying people don't have to contribute. Yeah, your life is going to be a lot harder if you embody a real sense of entitlement and that you're not part of community. There's because you're going to cause problems for yourself, but you'll still be worthy. Right. That's what we're talking about. Your worth will be intact, whether you're aware of it or not, whether other people think you're worthy or not. Worth doesn't come from what others think of you how much stuff you have or how much successful you've been. It just is. Yeah. Most of us are getting comfort from our self-esteem substitutes, right? The idea that our worth comes from how much people like us or how many people we help. I suffer from that one, but I have to check myself and be like, wait a minute, I'm worthy even if whatever I tried to do didn't work out or I didn't help someone. Right? I have to reassure myself. But that's the self-esteem substitute for the time when I'm not in touch with the truth. Right. Yeah. Um, well, we're done. That's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We're good. <laughs> okay. Actually, there's four more things. Yeah. There's four more things. But the first one and the foundation. It's is the foundation for everything. Because if we don't have this knowledge that we are worthy and that everyone else around us is worthy just for being, then what do we build this all on? Like that, that's the, and, and I think it's, let's just name this, that the reason then that people are coming and looking for like a, what are the skills of adulting kind of class is because this kind of premise that we're worthy just for being is not necessarily something that we absorbed. No, no. And to absorb that, oh my gosh, there's so many things that are needed. Not only do we need to be affirmed and nurtured and have loving limits, we need to have it modeled. We need to be, and a big one is being taught that we don't need to be perfect. That imperfection is part of our humanity. And, and, and another big one is having role models, parents who apologize. I ask people in my class, raise your hand. Who had parents who regularly admit when they messed up? 
And it's like crickets. Occasionally someone raises their hand and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then I find out that the apology was like the person saying, fine, I'm sorry. And then, you know, in week four, we learn that's not a legit apology. And the person's like, I retract my answer from week one. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I got the modeling for the, because I teach something called the full apology. Do you guys use that in your home? Um, do I don't think we do, that? Terry. I think I know what you're talking about, but I don't think like now I want to start practicing it more with everybody in my home. You want to teach it to I, us? Sure. And I didn't, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I'm pausing because I'm realizing the Institute that created it, we should look it up, yeah. but I didn't write this, and, but it goes like this. I am sorry for doing X, right? Let's just say I interrupted you. Rebecca, yeah. I'm so sorry I interrupted you. Line two, step two, there's four steps. Step two, it was wrong. Because when I interrupted you, I was acting like what I had to say was more important than what you had to say. Mm. That's step two is naming actually what value doesn't exist. Step three, I'm going to make a commitment. In the future, I'm going to pause before speaking and make sure that you finished your thought before I speak up. I won't do this perfectly, but I'm committing to working on this. That's step three. And then step four, and people disagree on whether this is even necessary. Do you accept my apology? Mm -hmm. Forgive me, some version of that. And then what I add to this full apology thing is all the apology is doing is um, me taking accountability that I violated my values. It's not actually a repair, even a little bit. Apologies are not repairs. That's my stance. Then if I wish to repair, I can say, is there something I can do to make this Right, right. The apology is not the repair. But so in my house, sometimes my daughter will say to me, mom, I need the full apology. Oh, that's beautiful. Right. And so I say, hang on. And then I gather the lines and then I repeat them. And yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. You know, I'm, I'm often thinking about apology in, in like an RLT kind of framework. So I'm thinking about things like empathy, vulnerability, and accountability, right? And how those are like the three ingredients that we need. But this gives us like an outline of how to get there. Right. Totally. It's, it's, right. So, yeah. I love it when you say, because the empathy is acknowledging you did this harm. The yeah. vulnerability and empathy is here's why it was wrong. Yeah. Here's how it hurt you. And the accountability think, is, is this is what I'm going to commit to doing. And, yeah. and, the, but, and then this idea, though, that that's still not a repair. Right. Sometimes apologizing is reparative because just acknowledging is enough. But I, I just think it's important to name that that's not always the case. Well, let's let's acknowledge that like things happen, like ruptures happen in in all relationships. There's harmony, disharmony, repair. So in all relationships, there's going to be those ruptures. Let's celebrate the fact that there are ruptures because without them, we wouldn't have opportunities for the repair. And in those opportunities for repair, we, we get to learn that we have this resilience, that we can come back from it, that we can build trust, that your daughter can come to you and say, Hey, I need the full apology. And you can show up for her there, right? Like that interaction the apology itself might not be the repair, but the the feedback that's happening between us in those moments where we can say, this is what I need and we can show up for that. That's the repair. The repair is in the responsiveness. Totally. And sometimes there is a need for something more. 
Yeah. Like an a like a, a literal like I need you to fix the thing you broke or I need you yeah. to do this additional thing. Sometimes, but often from an, a relational perspective, I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to put out there, I feel that and I maybe this is my fervent wish as a parent. I hope that in modeling healthy apology, I'm hitting so many of those pieces, helping to give my daughter a framework. I'm hoping, I mean, everyone is imperfect. I am making mistakes all the time and she's quick to point them out to me. I mean, but (laughs) she sounds like such a beautiful spirit. She's amazing. When I'm, there's a few parenting books I have laying around the house that she has read and she'll quote to me. Do you have that book? How to Become the Parent You've Always Wanted to Be by Adele Faber. It's so good. I don't. It's it's like a graphic novel almost. There's comics and it's the chapters are a page and a half. To me, it's like the only parenting book I recommend because it's the the only one parents actually have time for. Have time to read. And she pulls out the book and she's like, mom, my room is not trashed. The book says, say what you see. There are books on the floor. What can you do to clean up your room. She's like, she's like, that's shaming mom. And I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love see. it. So, say what you yeah, see. That's beautiful. I got a little parenting expert right in my house. Right yes, there, you do. Quoting the book. So. Well, I think we, I think every parent has parenting experts in the house. Like kids are good at that. Right. When mm. we, especially, and I think this is the, the key of it as we're talking about learning how to adult, it's often like, I'm often thinking about these ideas of like reaching in for the sparks of, of these kiddos. Like, who are they? What's, what's their soul? Like, right. Like our job as parents is to kind of keep that fire ignited, keep that, that light going. And within many of ourselves, it's like, that's really dim. It's there, but it, it needs some tending to, right? Yeah. That's so beautiful. And so that, I guess that takes us actually into the next thing that I think what children need is help with knowing our reality. Yes. Knowing, and to have that, we have to have parents that are not drowning or flailing, that are not so overwhelmed with their own emotions and their own stuff, their own generational trauma that they carried in, that are present enough that they can literally take the kid and be like, put them in front of them and be like, yeah. who are you? Right. I want to know you. I want to know your heart and mind. And, and then I'm going to help you make sense of it. It's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to have those thoughts. I'm here. Tell me more. Right. So assuming that, that the listeners who are participating in this conversation with us did not have that explicitly done, there's hope. Are you ready? It turns out that we can start to study ourselves. We can tune in and say, okay, I'm going to track my own reality. Meaning, what are my thoughts? What are my emotions? What's my body doing? What do I like? What do I not like? What are the urges? And can I shine that, that functional adult light on it? So that again, not being judgmental, being, as you say, being curious. Can I take my observer and take a look at myself and notice Hopefully, and I mean this, this is like a little homework assignment, several times a day, just tune inward and be like, wait a minute, what's going on for me right now? What are some of my thoughts? What are some of my emotions? What's going on in my body? What's my nervous system saying? What is it I'm really wanting or needing right now? Or what's the urge? And also, what am I actually doing? 
Mm-hmm. So often we miss that part, like looking at what is my behavior, right? So like if I'm wanting something from my wife, but I'm telling her what she's doing wrong, like, is that actually a request? It's like super not going to give me what I want. And right. it's the, the tracking my reality that, oh my gosh, I'm not skilled and asking for what I want. Or even being aware of what's my goal. You know, Pia talks about as we start to learn the, the she calls them the five core issues. And so the first one was self-worth. And now we're talking about reality. Yes. As I start to get a handle on these five core issues, um, I am going to stop making more problems for myself. Right. And I, now, my life isn't going to become amazing. Acting like a functional adult isn't going to make other people be more functional. But kind of. The, but you the, might the, stop shooting yourself in the foot. Exactly. Like yeah. if I'm really wanting connection and support, but what I'm doing is just reacting and being critical. And then of course I'm feeling this deep need, but I'm not understanding that my behaviors aren't in line with actually getting that need met. Mm-hmm. Right. The only way we can do that, I find, is putting in time each day, doing a little bit of tracking. Yeah. And what I recommend is people do is at the end of each day, think of a couple couple times in the day where you had some sort of emotional reaction to something Mm. and then go back and build it out. Okay. What were, what happened? Just one sentence or two, just the facts. What I like this wording. What did I make up about it? Yes. What what are my perceptions? What did I make up about it? What's the story I told myself? Perfect. Mm -hmm. What's my body? What did my body do? Even what's it doing now as I'm remembering this? Is there tension, tightness, Mm -hmm. whatever? Um, What emotions can I identify? And either what did I want or what did I do? And if we take a couple of instances every day and then over a week or two weeks, take a look. Um, in my experience, people see some themes and it's, it's like you can't, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. You can be like, Oh my gosh. Every time my feelings are hurt, I end up being really critical of someone else. Yeah. Or every time I'm keeping surprised by someone's reaction. Instead of asking a question, I get angry. Yeah. Huh. Right. And this is what we wanted to happen in childhood. There's someone looking at, okay, so this happened and you're feeling upset. It makes sense that you're upset. Yeah. Okay. Let's take some time with that. You can just have your feelings. And now let's think about what do you think you want to do? Most of us did not have consistent coaching. And right. we can't, and we, we can't go back and get parented. That ship has sailed. Right. But we can start to show up for ourselves in those ways now. That's right. Yeah. The next best thing is we don't get to go back and get parented differently, Mm -hmm. but we can parent ourselves now. Right. So I, I, I see this playing out a lot with some of my couples, right? They come in there, they have these, uh, whoosh moments where like big stuff comes up for them. And these are the moments where I try to mentor them to notice what, what happens right before you have that reaction. What's what, where do you feel that in your body? Okay. There's that thing that you, you feel it in your chest. Okay. You feel it in your eyes. You feel it in your, you know, in the back of your neck, you right. So notice that that's kind of typically your clue. And then when you start to feel it, can you just like slow down and notice like, Oh, I'm feeling that like, start tracking it right there. When I hear you doing that, I'm like, oh, you're reparenting your clients. It's so beautiful. And you're teaching teaching them them how to do it. Right. Teaching them how to do it, even in the presence of, you know, being in the moment with their partner. Like, oh, you need that right here. Totally. 
Yeah. Because that, that tracking is, is really like in many ways, what many of us missed. Well, if no one was doing that for us and we don't have that built in there, not to mention we are a very fast paced culture, fast, fast, fast. (laughs) The idea of slowing down, asking for a pause and actually (laughs) landing or processing, that's just not valued. So it almost makes us feel um, insecure or not smart or so really sort of also saying it is okay to take a pause to slow down and say, hang on, I need a minute to figure out what's happening. It's actually so necessary. I mean, oh what, what I have learned from, from our, our dear colleague, Jules, is a lot about kind of like how our brain, um, Jules has been a guest on this podcast twice already, and um, I think my listeners know her. Uh, but one of the things she talks about is how our brain is constantly scanning both in, inside and outside of our bodies for signs of threat. And so we're, it's constantly like this, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Like five times a second. So if, if we're not slowing down, we're missing opportunities to be like, yeah, I'm okay. Totally. Should we (sighs) dive a little bit deeper? Sure. Once we get to know ourselves. Right. So we're getting to know our reality. There's this other piece though. So, so the first core issue we already named, which is self-worth or self-esteem, self-love, whatever you want to call it. And then the second one, um, Pia calls reality. There's there's like three components of the reality thing. And I've named the one, which is knowing what you're thinking, feeling, what's going on inside of you, that self-awareness, that conscious, right? But another piece of this whole reality thing is really facing this idea that everyone has their own experience of reality Mm. and it's separate. So the subjective reality. Right. And that there, well, quantum physics has shown that there may not even be any objective. Like that's a sidebar. We we have the physics discussion. I'm really into um, physics and quantum physics. And so maybe that's another conversation. Oh gosh, that's another time. But <laughs> there's been some data that suggests that the, the concept even of objective reality, like it's been disproven on, on, the, on the nano level of particles. Wow. Like there is no objective reality at all. So, you know, and Terry Real says, we want to throw out objective reality. There's no place for objective reality in relationships. Like saying unequivocally, you were yelling is not going to do anything good for you or your partner saying, hey, when you talk to me at that decibel, I'm having trouble hearing you, right? That's personal reality. That's saying, hey, in my experience for me, that going to owning that my personal reality may not be yours and may not be Mm -hmm. someone else's, that how relational that is, right? Right. So that's the second part of reality. And then the third part of reality, there's so many parts of reality. I, I, it can be confusing for folks when they're learning Pia's model. The third piece of reality is understanding. Here's again, another idea, use your listening boundary and you can catch this and let it in or not. But this idea that there is no good person mm. and there is no bad, bad person. person. There is, you know, there's the bad or good, you know, it's what's halfway in between good or bad, like kind of okay, where instead we want to imagine a triangle. There's the concept of the bad person. There's the concept of the good person. Or the third point on the triangle is there's human, which is imperfect, flawed, capable of doing good behaviors, capable of doing, you know, uh, you know, so-called good behaviors, so-called bad behaviors, right? There's the person 
who exists. And when we take a stance that some people are good or bad, what we're actually doing is going back into that sense of some people are worth more than others. Right. And the judge, which is kind of a one up stance, meaning we're thinking we're better than I'm going to decide that you're bad. So the other key piece in reality is really declining to take the judge position about other people, but also about yourself. yourself. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, there's a weird arrogance in telling yourself you're garbage. Like, who are you to decide that you are worthless? Like, and, and so there's like this weird, like humility. Um, gosh, I'm just another imperfect person like everyone else. You know, I have some gifts that maybe other people don't have, or I have some weaknesses that other people don't have. But in turn, like, right, but that we're all same as, and I'm not entitled to be judge of you or me. You know, this has been a real learning edge for me. And one of the things that I have found that really helps is a question that um, another colleague of ours, LaShonda Sugg, uh, I think shared with me, which is, where did you learn that? Right? Like, who benefits from you believing that about yourself? Oh, that question just gave me chills. Right? Oh, I just, I'm just going to feel it. Hang on. Yeah. Who benefits? Who benefits? Yeah. Right. And when I, when I pause and I go there in those moments, I'm often like, oh, now I get to see like intergenerational patterns. Right. Right. Like now I fit in. mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I start seeing like, oh, I believe that because my believing that made my parent feel and they had to feel that way because their parent felt and their parent. Right. And so now it's not like the fault of anybody. It's just an intergenerational pattern. That's right. And we don't even know why we're doing it anymore. No, it's completely decontextualized. Exactly. Completely. And so, Oh, this is exciting. Yes. (laughs) Right. But that's, I find that question helps me stop. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so that's the third piece. Uh, again, this multi-pronged reality thing. Multi-pronged so reality. Yeah. I need to learn to know myself and know what's going on with myself. Um, understand that it's my personal reality. It may not be anyone else's reality but mine. And third, um, I'm not going to sit in judgment or let others sit in judgment of me. Yeah. It's just a preference. Yeah, I do have preferences. I do get to decide who I let close and who I keep in an outer circle. I get to make decisions about that. You know, as we move into boundaries, I mean, this is a perfect segue, but it's like that idea. I can throw someone out of my house without throwing them out of my heart. Mm-hmm. Like I can decide that yeah, that's that Pia uses this phrase. She talks about that. There are people who their behaviors are heavy lifting. Like that, that's, and then we all can be heavy lifting sometimes, Yeah, but that's still different than deciding someone's bad. Or deciding, you know, does that make sense? So it's like uh, recognizing we're not in this la la happy land that says, oh, nothing has an impact. Oh, no, we have an impact on ourselves and one another. Um, But can we talk about it from that behavioral perspective? You know, when you do that, here's the effect on me versus, oh, he's bad, she's bad, they're bad, Or, or they're good, or they're better than me, or they're the ones who know, right? When we do this sort of you know, putting people in a box, like there's a, um, again, I feel like there's a, it's entitlement. Isn't the word I'm thinking of. It's grandiose. It is. It's grandiose to sit in a judgmental state about ourselves and others. Yeah, it is. And, and again, that grandiosity to some degree is costing us connection. 
mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm so screwed up. Causing us trying- connection from others and from ourselves. Completely. And, yeah. and what's the most important relationship? In Pia's model, in this model here, the most important relationship is your relationship with yourself. Are you in a truthful, um, accepting that your worth is inherent relationship? Or are you believing the distortions that have been passed down in your generationally? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So getting in right relationship with ourselves so that we can show up and authentically connect to others. Yeah. Right. It doesn't solve all our problems, but, no, but it's, we, it's sure a start, you know, it's, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a start. start. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about boundaries. I noticed that you shifted the order of these, by the way, these skills. I do. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. So Pia does have a chart and she has it go self-worth boundaries. Real. And I, when I started teaching the class, I don't even know how to begin talking to people without, about boundaries, without first naming that we each have a personal reality. Yeah. To me, it, that was always, so I switched it around a few years ago and I, I think it's important. I so love this is my do. view, yeah. not everybody's view, but my view is taking responsibility for understanding our own reality and how other people have a different reality actually gets rid of a bunch of boundary violations. Just it really does. That. Just yeah. that. It's like, <laughs> I don't even have to talk about some of them now. Because, right? So what are boundaries? You know, again, in our pop culture, like a boundary is literally telling, like the, the pop psychology idea of what a boundary is, is me telling someone else what they can and can't do. No. Right? I mean, yes, that's, that's, that's the that's, pop psychology, but no, like, I just want to be I like, wait, a, hold on. I set a boundary with you and you're not respecting my boundary. And you know, right. I hear that all the time in my office and I say, oh gosh. So here's the thing. That's really another bummer. There's so many bummers that this class, so I'm sorry, everybody. The next bummer, right. Is that, um, one adult doesn't get to tell another adult what to do right. without a contract. Right. And so a boundary, boundaries, while executed, are mostly internal and no one knows you're doing them. Not all boundaries. Some boundaries are stated, but most boundaries are us being aware of where I end and other people began and me deciding what is and isn't okay for me and what I'm going to do about it. So it's it's making me think (laughs) of of a quote that you may have heard by Prentice Hemphill. Boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. That's a good quote. Right? Right. So boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. Like if if I'm practicing that, then I get to discern because I know my own reality and my own worth, right? That like I need some more space here. Because if I'm in too much connection with you, it's gonna harm me, it's gonna hurt. Or if, you know, like there's something like, so I get to discern those boundaries. And if I'm doing a good job at that, you might not even notice it. Exactly. And actually I would, I would take one word you said, and I just, this is my opinion. I'm responsible for doing that. (laughs) Right. It's not like if I do it, like, actually it's my responsibility. One of the things I I give people in, in, you know, the third, in the boundaries week of this class is I have two Instead of like affirmations, we do affirmations in work one, week one, right? All of that, I'm worthy and enough mm-hmm. and I matter. I matter. Oh, the, the affirmation I like, I should just, you know, is I'm enough and I matter even though, right? Even though I messed up, even though I forgot to mention this during the self-worth part of the talk, right? But 
the boundary, I, I, I suggest, I got this word from Resma Menachem, um, this idea of attestations, right? This idea, they're sort of like affirmations, but they're more like claiming responsibility, right? So they're attestations. And the two boundary attestations I like to give people are, I am responsible for using boundaries with others and um, protecting myself from others. That listening boundary I talked about. So yeah. I'm responsible for protecting myself from others. And then the asterisk. Yes, even my lover, my friends, my children, my family, whatever. Why? Because people are imperfect, messy. They make they make mistakes. They're crabby, right? right? So it's not just the listening boundary, but I I need to discontinue engaging with someone if they're being disrespectful. I'm the one who needs to walk away. I'm the one who needs to protect my body if someone's getting too close. I need to like the idea that I'm responsible for that. A lot of us, if we grew up in a family without boundaries, we have the idea that if you loved me, you would protect me. Hmm. And I just, I want to help you help that ship sail, everybody. Like, again, catch this in your listening boundary and maybe you're like, no, if you love me, you'll protect me. So I have a terrible story to tell on myself. Is it okay if I tell it now? Yeah. So I am so lucky that my partner and I both got really into the Terry Real model. And then we both really got into Pia. So I was so happy to be practicing this language at home with my partner. So luckily we both were accepting, okay, I need to have boundaries and, and protect myself. And we're going to talk in a minute about the containing boundary, which I fail to have in this example. So this is a good segue. So, <laughs> But it's our job to protect ourselves from what other people are saying. And, you know, here I am, this person, you're listening to me on this podcast. I clearly care about showing up in a skillful way. I love people I want to help. But the truth is, I'm capable of terrible things. And when I'm tipped over, when I'm triggered, when I'm activated, sometimes I say terrible things. And I, yes, and I'm still human no matter how much work I've done. It's never going to stop. So I... I don't remember all the details, but my partner was going to teach a class or do something. She's an incredible songwriter and uh, educator in her own right. And she was going to do a class and she had told me she forgot to do an important piece of preparation. And instead of using appropriate boundaries and remembering that's her and it's not me and well, that's going to be a bummer in her class today. I had this whoosh and my whoosh told me this mix of stuff. Oh my gosh, I should have helped her. I should have prepared that. She should have done that. She doesn't care. All of this stuff. And I said to her, and I'm so embarrassed, but I I repeat it publicly in part to help myself remember I'm capable of this kind of meanness. I said to her, you are going to F everything up and fail. Yeah. Yeah. And it was out of that little kid trauma of feeling so devastated that I couldn't count on a parent to be there for me, you know, at a time. And it was coming out of this very young place, but they were very cruel words. Yeah. And I had never said anything like that to my wife before. I tend to be pretty controlling, less mean. And so my wife who had been doing this work and lovely, wonderfully had her protective boundary going, she looked at me and she was panicking about this class, right? Instantly she like came together into her functional adult. And she was like, Oh, honey, you're more activated than me. And she made this like sad, loving face. And she said, I have to prepare for this class now 
So I can't engage with you about this. I am so sorry you're struggling, but I have to go. There's a nice loving limit. It was amazing. And she didn't take in my words that you're going to have everything up and fail. And she went and actually did awesome in the class. And she said it was actually very like centering to have that exchange with me, to have me behaving worse than her. And then she came back later and she said, you know, I would, I would like you to give me the full apology, <laughs> which, which by then you I had, had come time. Into, yeah. Oh my gosh. I came into full humility. I was mortified that I said that. And I was, it was like, I was another person. I was so activated. And I said, I am so sorry. I did that. Here's why it was wrong. You know, I, here's what I commit to you. Forgive me. And she was like, of course. And then we just remarked on what if this had been five years prior where she didn't have a listening boundary? Yeah. And what if she had taken in my words, made them true? You know, Terry teaches, Terry knows she's saying, I'm going to mess it up. Maybe I'm not going to do this. And then crumpled. So it was, she was a great relational day for her. And it was a horrible, horrible relational day for Terry Delaney. And for our relationship, it was actually pretty good. Yeah. So this is why if we use our protective boundary with everyone, even people who love us, we cannot get in the weeds. I mean, imagine what our day would have been if not only did she let that in and felt devastated, but like it actually did impact her class. Right. And it did impact her day. Right. The more the remorse I have, the appropriate remorse I have is like this big. It's kind of small. I regret doing it. I use that story to keep myself humble that I'm capable of terrible things. And it's such a good connecting teaching moment. So like, you know, our, our imperfect humanity, if we can just allow it to be our imperfect humanity, right? Like it it, it can be another point for us to actually connect over. Like we all have this imperfect humanity. I can see it in you because I have it in me too. I've made this, I can, you know, I can relate to the fact that you did something or caused some harm to your partner. And I can relate to that because I've done things and I've caused harm to my partner and my partner's done things and caused harm to me. Right. So like it's, it's on all these levels because we're all human. And yet there's something awesome we can do called using boundaries. Right. And she, wasn't she didn't tell me no, she didn't lecture me, she didn't, she just caught it and didn't let it in. And in that way, she was honoring me and her. Well, she, she did two like, things, it sounds like she caught it yeah. and didn't let it in. And she set a loving limit for you. She did. By saying, like, this can't be about you right now. I have to focus on me. Yeah. And she literally was like, you know, it so startled me that you said that because you don't usually talk that way. And she's like, that's what helped me. I was like, what? <laughs> you said what? what? Like it was ridiculous. And so that brings, that brings us to the other point though, which is I was not using a containing boundary. Right. Right. And so the other key boundary is about, we need to manage our reality our thoughts, our feelings, whatever. And I was having a big trauma reaction in that moment that had that was more about me and my history than anything my wife was saying. Or doing. It was more about me and my personal reality and my history. And I didn't catch it. I blew right past it. And, and I wasn't having that containment of saying, is it true? Is it kind? Is it respectful? Yeah. Right. There was no filtering. Yeah. What was on my mind? And I was reacting instead of choosing how to react. And the containing boundary that when we practice it is about setting limits on ourselves. It is. Right. And again, how many models do we have for that? 
of people doing like an awesome job containing themselves? <laughs> or do we have examples of people righteously telling people off, right? And we call that standing up for yourself, right? I think in so many movies, that's setting a boundary, is blasting someone emotionally. Yes. Right. So turns out real boundaries are just as boring as right make accepting that my reality is just mine and it's not true for anybody else and knowing my worth is it's sort of like I don't get to get on the high when something good happens I get to be glad the good thing happens but it doesn't make my worth go up right it's I mean there's just this theme of these are steadying strategies that bring us to the center you know bring us to the center yeah I mean, there is more to say about boundaries, but this is the there's short always version. more to say about I mean, boundaries because there's physical boundaries, there's sexual boundaries, but the key is recognizing that where I be, I be, I end and someone else begins, and not merging, not this idea. I mean, a lot of us grew up in homes. If you love me, you agree with me. Mm-hmm. If you love me, you feel the same. You think the same. You're going to be comfortable with me touching you, right? I mean, most of us were told, you know, hug grandma. Right. And not, hey, what does your body feel like doing right now? Many of us weren't taught that we could say no. That's right. Or we could say, here's what I am willing to do. Right. Here's what is comfortable. Like it wasn't even on the radar. So I find there's so many people that just the understanding that this is my body, Mm -hmm. just that, just sitting here right now, noticing this is my body and whatever it's feeling and whatever it's doing is okay. Right. And what might be going over there in your body might be different. And that that's okay. We don't have to be the same, yeah. right? This idea that we can be connected and still protected at the same at the time. Same time. It's right. revolutionary. So it is. I mean, this could be a year-long class. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it could be, be a, a lifetime-long practice. For sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> right? I think that's the so, thing that I keep finding is that I'm constantly challenged to, to remember these skills that and to keep practicing them. Yeah. So there's, there's two others, right? There's that you go through. Mm -hmm. So Pia calls it dependency. I like to call it self-care, but I love that she calls it dependency because it's really subversive because we're in such an anti-dependent world. She's talking about how we need to resolve our dependency issues that when we're a child, we're completely dependent. When we're a baby, we're completely dependent on others in every way. And then over time, we start to take responsibility for our own care, right? And what's interesting is we're in, I think, a culture um, that really glorifies um, uh, independence, anti-dependence, this sort of rugged individualism. I mean, this is seen not, you know, in our culture, it's a big part of white supremacy this idea that I alone can do these things, right? I alone, you know, speaking in sort of a white voice, right? That I have achieved these things and I've done it by myself, right? And that's so built into the fabric that there's a lot of shame that comes up at the idea that someone might need help, Mm. that they might need to ask for help. I mean, I find that so many folks I work with even though they know they need something, they frame it as a demand or they right. frame it as something someone else is failing to do because 
one of the most vulnerable things we can do is ask, ask directly for, for what we need. You know, Saying, I need this. Yeah, go ahead. I, uh, I had a big revelation uh, a few weeks ago when I was reading uh, some of Bonnie Badenoch's work. And Bonnie was writing that when we're born as infants, we're really, really good at asking for what we need. And that over time, that get that ability gets diminished when we don't get responded to. Yes. Our ability to be direct is innate, but we reorganize our systems around, oh, my need isn't going to be met, so I won't ask for it. Right. Or I'll even hide that need from myself. Right. I'll find a way to not even have access to realizing I need that anymore. So Ooh. maybe I'm feeling lonely, but instead of reaching out to my friend Rebecca and sharing my experience, um, I eat some ice cream. Right. Or I'm feeling um, disconnected and really physically tired. And so what I do is I binge watch a show, but I don't sleep. Mm-hmm. Or I haven't, I need to move my body, but instead I, I zone out looking at my phone and scrolling. Yeah. Right? So this idea that there's a need and we medicate it instead of handling instead it. Instead of and so right. And, and that right there, like I mean, talking about adulting skills. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I have to like actually show up for myself. I have to be able to discern the difference. And whew, that look on your face when you're embodying that feeling. This is why I love teaching this class where I can see people's faces because it's really important when we get into self-care and I'm like, yeah, self-care is just a bunch of, uh, you know, being really moderate and saying no to yourself and going to bed early. And also it's about asking for help. Yeah. And then the looks on people's faces. Yeah. And I'm like, just take a minute and look at the other people just so you don't feel alone. Like for most people, this is the hardest and worst class of the series. Of course it is. People know they're not doing a great job with self-care and they feel shame about that. Mm-hmm. And so what do they do? They avoid or they medicate right? or they shut down. Like the idea that I could actually get a handle on some basic self-care feels so overwhelming and so daunting that I'm just going to keep overriding. I'm just right. going to keep doing those other strategies. And, and there's this thing, right? Like that self-care, it's not actually going to get the manicure. It's not actually even going, I mean, like maybe it's going on a, for a hike in the woods, but it's it also, be. it might be right. But it's also like doing the things that you've been putting off. Totally. Yeah. I mean, literally, it, it literally could, I mean, for most of us, I'd say we're having a, a tremendous amount of seed deprivation. Mm-hmm. So when in doubt, I say, if people say, I don't know which needs to focus on. Cause I say, pick two or three and let's figure out your self-care minimums. Right. Like I've discovered something interesting about myself, Rebecca. Like I honestly could sleep nine, 10 hours a night. And that'd be super great for me. I mean, my life doesn't allow that, but that would be like, that would I be good. Do it. Yeah. That, that like my body will stay asleep that long. My 13 year old and I can do that too. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> my life doesn't really allow for that, but I have learned something interesting. That if I only get six and a half hours of sleep, mm-hmm. um, five nights of the week, but two nights of the week, I get at least eight, I'm fine. So it's, I use it, um, uh, it's it becomes, diagnostically. Yeah, yeah. So I look at Friday night comes and I want to stay up late with my sweetheart after our daughter goes to bed and, you know, and I look at my week, did I have a couple eight hour nights? If I didn't, as you much as I want to hang out with my sweetheart, I say, I need to go to bed. And I do, because there's something I learned from Pia, because when I first did this training, I was much younger 
I was much younger. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking. Cause she said, you know, if we overdo, we'll feel resentful. And I was like, yeah, I never feel resentful. I can go, go, go. I work in the day and I stay up at night and da, da, da. And you know what she said to me? This is so amazing. She said, you know, good for you. And then a few years later, I was still telling her, you keep saying that we know we've given too much if we're resentful and I'm not resentful. But by this time I had a daughter and she said, okay, so let me ask you a question though. You go, go, go day and night, burning the candle at both ends. And when Saturday morning comes and you're home with your child and she wants to play kitty and she wants you to crawl around on the floor, are you waiting for that time to end? Are you wishing you could just get away and zone out? And I, my eyes, I was just like, holy crap, busted. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely depleted. I am not. And she's like, you may be pulling it off for the majority of society, but you're not, you're not fooling your child. It turns out you're actually able to overgive and you're cheating your family. And it was like, I was punching the gut. And then I changed my whole schedule and I started Mm -hmm. saying no a lot more. Once I realized that there was this way that I could fake it, Rebecca, like I could be there and show up at all the things. And I didn't feel resentful, but here's a clue that you're not having good self-care. You're doing something that's supposedly very fun and wonderful and you're wishing it was over. Mm. Right. That, yeah. Because you're craving some alone time to stare at the wall or be in nature or whatever. Right. Oh, just, I feel and I, it I just, I, now. I, I feel it with you. I feel it with you. Like, I feel like I just had a big learning moment in there. Mm -hmm. And I want to emphasize also for our listeners, the importance of staring at a wall. (laughs) I love that you're saying that. (laughs) Sometimes there's nothing more important than giving ourselves permission to stare at a wall. (laughs) Or asking for help. Okay, I have another dreadful story. So once I learned that we were supposed to ask for help, even if it didn't seem reasonable and even if right. just trust that other people can take care of themselves. So here's a story which will horrify some of your listeners, I think. When I'm in a, a training with mostly therapists who, are, who have a tendency to overgive and deprive themselves, they audibly gasp. So here's my story. So again, I'm learning this stuff with my wife and we have a rule in our family typically that if you make dinner, the other people clear the table and do the dishes, right? And I had had a particularly long day at work. My wife had made dinner and I just, I had already had that lesson from Pia and I was really trying to recognize when I was spent, you know, cause she t- says, you know, we don't want to give of our base. We want to give of our overflow. Right. And so when I have no overflow anymore, I have to say, no, I have to replenish. I have to stare at the wall. So this is what reminded me of this. So I actually turned to my wife. This is, I'm so proud of this moment. It's going to make up for the me saying that other awful thing. So I, although again, for people who are very anti-dependent, meaning you pride yourself in never asking for help, brace yourself because this might be difficult to hear. I turned to my wife and I said, I know you made the dinner and actually you've been parenting our daughter all day. You've been doing everything. And I am just really fried. And I'm wondering if you will do the dishes and put our daughter to bed while I just sit on the couch and stare at the wall. Right. And in this moment, people audibly gasp because that's so entitled, right? Like, how could I ask for that? She did everything that day. How could you not ask for that? And well, look how evolved you are. You're amazing. And she said, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. she said, the first time I did that, she was like, of course, I have it to give. Yes, I will do that. And I sat on the couch. I was going to like read a book, but I literally just stared at the wall and spaced out. And I felt so loved and cared for. And, this, and then people usually ask in the class, well, what if she would have said no? Well, mm-hmm. sometimes she does. And sometimes, so one time I asked if she would do that for me. And she said, oh, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you to do everything, you know, the dishes and put the kid to bed. Like, right. Those are usually divided. Yeah. Right. And, and one time I said, you know what? I can rally. I can rally and do that for you. And I just had to check. Will I feel resentful? And mm-hmm. if I wasn't going to feel resentful, I said, yes. And I did it. But one time, and this is my favorite, we kind of both asked each other the same question. Like, will you do everything? And we looked at each other and we're like, let's just go to bed as a family and leave the dishes. And no one did it, Rebecca. <laughs> I love it. That's I so love good. it. Sometimes oh, we just need to give ourselves those breaks. The dishes will be there tomorrow. Right. Yeah. But for a lot of us, asking for something that we know will inconvenience someone else yeah. is almost impossible. Yeah. And if that's you, I feel for you. I want you to know it's so vulnerable to say, here's what I would like. Would you be willing? And then you're bracing, like they're going to shame you for being selfish. They're going to say, you know, or they're going to do it, but then they're going to simmer. But that's the other thing is, can we trust the people in our lives that they will say no? And when we can't, that sets up a whole other messy dynamic. That that sets up a whole other messy dynamic where then often, like I'm thinking of uh, some, some ways, some people that I grew up with where like they were more on the needless wantless side. Like, I don't yeah. even know what I need or what I want. So if you yes. ask me for something, I'm never going to say no. Because totally. like, how would I know that, that I would say no? Exactly. Right. And that puts a real burden on you and the friendship. Yeah. Because then you're having to try to figure out what they need. Right. Right. Because they're not, and I'm going to use this word because they're not taking responsibility for it. Right. And that's really what this is all about. Right. Yeah. This whole, all of these adulting skills are all about personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. I say this is, and I use the words interchangeably, but I say this is a personal accountability model. Mm-hmm. You're saying, I am the only one, now that I'm an adult, no one can parent me anymore. Mm-hmm. I am the only one is responsible for me. Yeah. And there is a piece of interdependence though, and I want to name this because we can, it, it's not just about taking care of me, but it is about asking for help when we need it. And being available for that healthy interdependence, being able to ask for help, but being able to also say no when it's in the interest of my self-care, right? Right. It would be not good for our friendship if every time you asked me to do something, I said yes. And then you found out that actually I was depleted and tired and stressed. That would make you not trust me. Yeah. Right. And so for us to have a healthy relationship. It's actually doing everyone a favor that we demonstrate that I can and will say no. And, and, and also the piece of like, you know, if, if I am constantly asking for you to do things and I'm never taking the responsibility to do them for myself, mm. right? And it's not just about you not saying no, but also it's about the fact that you're not really trusting that I'm going to take responsibility for me. Totally. Yes. If you're asking for things that you could and should be doing for yourself, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, that falls in the two dependent category. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I would argue that it's weird, but all of it, either you're being in functional self-care or I argue you are being too dependent 
Because right. being needless, wantless is being too dependent. Mm-hmm. Being anti-dependent is actually, actually covertly too dependent because you're not willing to ask. You're not willing to ask for what you need. And so then people end up caretaking you and trying to guess, right? The person who's super anti-dependent holding all the grocery bags. No, no, I got it. Someone just like grabs it from, no, 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 let me help you, right? It sets up this dynamic of people rescuing them from having to ask. Oh my goodness. Actually a very dependent stance. People who are so proudly anti-dependent. I hope I'm bursting your bubble right now. You are. And and I need to confess, I'm anti-dependent. And when I learned that, I was like, oh, it is dependent. Oh. I can fluctuate between being too dependent or anti-dependent, right? So so like both, I'm, I'm realizing right now that like, when, when I'm in either of those spaces, I'm incredibly self-focused. Yes. Right. I'm not focusing on like, on me as like, how do I care for me? I'm focusing on me as in like what I can or can't count on other people for in some way. So I'm not really focusing on the relational space between us. I'm focusing. It's, it's like a, what was me kind of space. Totally. You know, it's, that reminds me of, you know, Pia Melody, her first book is called Facing Codependence. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this, she actually wanted to name it Facing Developmental Immaturity. Yeah, that makes so much more sense. But at the time that she was publishing the book, codependence was all the rage and it was an editorial decision, right? But her model is actually a developmental immaturity model. Yeah. Meaning we don't finish growing up because our parents didn't, we didn't, it's a, and I think of this work as like an apprenticeship model, mm-hmm. right? We're being apprenticed. So as you hear me talking about these things and modeling these things, it's sort of making it real, making it possible to then interact that way. But she, her definition of codependence is a failure to be in healthy relationship with yourself. Yeah. That's her definition. We're like, again, pop psychology definition of codependence is like wearing matching clothes, right? And being merged, right? Like being like merged with another person when she's focusing on the issue is, yeah, there's a problem with kind of being merged with someone else, but the real issue is a failure to take full responsibility that you're an adult now. Totally. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's only one. Oh, I, I should say the, the goal for healthy self-care is taking care of your own needs and wants, putting your needs before the wants. Wants right. are essential because they make us feel like we, we have enough. But when we do healthy self-care, it's an act of self-esteem, actually. It makes us feel like we are enough. So meeting my needs helps me feel like I am enough. And getting my wants helps me feel like I have enough. So there's, there's, yes, just yes. <laughs> I want to know what else you are going to say. <gasps> well, I'm like, I'm, I'm going into abundance and lack, right? Yeah, like, well, precisely. So, yeah. So like, if I, if I don't tend to any of my wants and I only tend to my needs, then I'm, moving into a space where like I'm, I'm living in the lack more and, you know, um, and if I'm only living in the space of my wants and I'm not attending to my needs, then I'm, it's just, it's messing with then how I show up in the world because I get all these, uh, false empowerments, right. Of like, I can tend to these parts of me, but I'm not tending to the things that are really about, like, I'm enough. Well, totally. And when you're living in the wants, it cr- does create this sense of entitlement yeah. and this idea. Again, it doesn't actually work. Right. Like 
medicating our pain doesn't actually resolve it. And so unfortunately, um, not actually meeting the needs underneath is going to lead to like this hungry ghost, like this constant craving. We're never going to be satisfied. And so it, it has, it has some costs, but it feels like we're living the good life. Right. It but feels actually, like it. But instead, we got to do the boring stuff of moving our bodies and calling up a friend who actually yeah. um, can give and receive with us or taking a rest or um, eating, eating to nourish. Right? right. Just really paying attention to what's going on with me and see how these all these skills. And there's just one left. How these skills stack. If I don't know I'm inherently worthy, I'm going to have a heck of a time asking for help or I'm going to have a heck of a time even prioritizing my self-care. Because I'm going to believe um, some other story about something else or someone else who's more important than me. That's right. And so that thing about giving of the overflow, not of the base, Pia paints this image of like this fountain, right? We want to be, we want to give to ourselves so that we're an overflowing fountain. And then we can give generously because the answer isn't don't like, I'm a person. The answer is not don't give and it's not don't. Yeah. It's not don't ask for help. It's. No, build up your base. Right. And if you have, if we give of our base, we're going to start to get into that place of scarcity and then start feeling resentful. I'm seeing the game Jenga in front of me right now. I'm thinking about like, if you pull all the pieces out of the bottom, it's going to topple over. I love that image, right? (laughs) You want to pull off the top, the extra, not the base. Oh, I love that image. Yeah. 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 Yeah, So speaking of the extra and not the base, right. That takes us right into this last one, this last skill. Yeah, totally. Well, and and I've, I've made some modifications with this one too. Yeah. He talks about the fifth core issue being moderation, right? It's like, yeah, about being yourself, but also using containment, right? Mm -hmm. Children are, uh, small children are inherently spontaneous, Right. They laugh, they cry, they, they're not, they're not inhibited. And in an ideal world, we're going to have learned that we get to be ourselves, yeah. but not too much. Like we're going to contain ourselves. So our humanity doesn't harm other people, mm-hmm. right? We're going to be mindful of how much space we're taking. I mean, Pia was a nurse and she said, don't use like highfalutin language when you can cut to the chase using regular language. She says the moderation issue is a sphincter issue. Right. Right. And she talks about the shit ass and the, and the tight, tight ass. ass. And everybody immediately knows what I'm talking about. Who is the shit ass? What does that look like? Who is the tight ass? Right. And so we can get obsessed with over controlling everything within an inch of our life, over controlling ourselves, over controlling other people, or we can swing to that other place of everything goes and I can do whatever. And I can, you know, and just erupting everywhere. And when I ask in the class, okay, what's the third point on the triangle, right? Shit ass or tight ass. And I love it when someone says just right ass. (laughs) (laughs) The real answer is boring. It's moderation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just okay. Well, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, what, what's, what's kind of like a regular, yes, a regular you know, like when I'm feeling kind of regular, I'm not, yes. yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, my 11 year old would really enjoy that. We're getting in the bathroom, bathroom humor. Oh right gosh. Now. Mine would too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the other piece I put into moderation is I really try to bring home 
and I'm, I'm guessing some people are getting this, that this is really a spirituality model. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this idea of understanding that I'm just human. Right. I'm not like whatever your beliefs are. When I talk about spirituality, I really use Pia's idea of this. And it's not going down a religious bent necessarily. It's about acknowledging that there is something bigger than me. For some of us, it's a God or a goddess or the divine. For some of us, it's nature. For some of us, it's the laws of physics. But the idea is there's something, there's a power greater than me. Or it could be the group, which is why I love group learning. But standing in the humility that I am just a person. I'm not above people. I'm not a God or goddess. And I'm not below people, worthless. I am this inherently worthy person who cannot be perfect. And so I like to talk about moderation with our perfectionism. Yeah. What's it like to really accept that I, that having this uh, goal or drive towards things being perfect, how destructive that is, how violent that is, because it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy of like a godlike person or a Mm -hmm. person that has evolved beyond their humanity, beyond their needs. Right. Right. And so for me, moderation is like humility. It is accepting, damn it. I'm just a screwed up person, Rebecca. Yeah. And I can learn this stuff all day and I'm going to keep messing up. And, and as I long can as hold I'm- you in that because I am too, and I'm still learning it also. Totally. Can I build onto your spirituality concept a Please. tiny bit? Because you know, where, where I take this often is that what we're really talking about in all of this is our spirit, right? Like the spirit of each of us, which is so freaking unique for everybody. And yet it's not because I, this is where I go. Carl Sagan would say, we're all made of star stuff, right? And so like, literally that's about matter. And so like, you know, total, like, my daughter would say like bad mom joke, mom, but <laughs> right. Like we're all made of matter and we all do matter. Oh, <laughs> my bad daughter mom would joke. groan. Yeah. Would groan right I love it. Right. But we like, yeah, we all matter. <laughs> right. But, but, like, that's grown, spirit. but it's yeah. true. It's yeah. true. And so that's what this is, is coming to the middle, coming to yeah. the middle on self-care and reality and boundaries and self and, and self-worth and just our place in, in the world, understanding we don't have to be more than human right. or less than human right now as we are. We actually are human. Yeah. And with that comes some responsibilities. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and we start to do them. Now here's the real kick in the, the whole thing, right? People do all this work. And what they learn in the functional adult class is that you can't be functional enough, Rebecca, to make someone else who's being dysfunctional be functional. Like most of us have this fantasy. And I mean, I have to tell you this last story is when I first learned this model, I took the whole binder. This is so embarrassing. I took the binder home to my family of origin for Thanksgiving. Oh no. And I opened it up <laughs> and I proceeded to try to educate my family that they did not ask for, that they did not want. So this is literally telling people how to behave, right? Yeah. I, I, I was like, if we could just all learn to have boundaries and, and the irony was lost in me about how boundaryless I was being. And so I was trying to teach them. It was 
the most silent Thanksgiving I've ever been to. And it took me, I'm embarrassed to say, it took me a full two years to realize what was wrong with that. Why it wasn't okay to just decide I'm going to go and teach my family. I'm like, this stuff is the solution. I'm going to teach them. And so the, the big bummer of this whole thing is us getting in our functional adult, growing our functional adult, um, won't fix any of the regular life problems, right? People will still be difficult and heavy lifting. We still have ruptures. People will get old and die. The only thing it does is help us the additional problems we were making for ourselves by playing out our family templates and dynamics and stuff, we'll stop doing those. Right. So we're not adding to, we're not creating more problems relationally. Yeah. So we're just clearing up the ones we were making, but life is still hard and challenging. And I have to say like, ta-da, drop the confetti. You just make less problems for yourself. Anyone want their money back? (laughs) (laughs) But but you know what I love about this story? As we make fun of it. I also think it's like, let's slow down there for a minute. Because if you start making less problems for yourself, it actually systemically does start changing the system between you and the people that you're in relationships with. And maybe they'll start also taking some personal responsibility and making less problems for themselves and your relationships with them. And now you've just kind of changed a whole system in a cycle. Well, that's so true to take that long view. It won't give immediate relief, but Not yes, immediate, in the long right. term, you, you are absolutely right. Yeah, I do make it kind of a joke in the punchline, but it's actually true that when I continue to show up in a relational way, that long term, it is shifting. I mean, you've around. already shared with us your story of you went and you did this work with Pia and your wife got on board with learning this work and your daughter is learning this work, right? Like, so in terms of changing systems and you're doing that, right? Like we, you've illustrated that through this conversation. Oh, you're so wise and gentle, Rebecca. I think so often I I am, I, I am an impatient person. And so I can really resonate with the person being like, why isn't it immediately changing my parents or why can't we take this at home to Thanksgiving and like do a impromptu unasked for as my wife calls it tuition free lecture. Like, why can't we do that? Well, well, it turns out that we have to do at least a decade of work on ourselves in order for other people around us to start feeling the impact of that. So it's the long game. That's what it really is. It's it's like the 10 years before we have a sense of inherent worth. Right. And, and then once we start developing that sense of inherent worth, not only in ourselves but in everybody else, like we don't need to be the one to teach them. No, that's true. That is true that now I don't actually feel entitled to teach this material to one other person. If you sign it for my class, we have a contract. You're agreeing for me to share my knowledge with you. Right. But it's amazing how finally I don't feel entitled to correct somebody or control them. I can say, okay, that's okay for them. Mm -hmm. And it means I'm going to take a few steps back. Yeah. Where 10 years ago, me would be educating them. Like, oh, what they're doing is whatever. And oh gosh, I'm so embarrassed at the grandiosity of that. Oh my gosh. I can so just relate to the grandiosity of that. I can I can be in it with you. And thank on that you. note, where can folks find out more about you and your class? Oh, thank you. Well, so I have a website called relationalskillbuilding.com. So relationalskillbuilding. 
and there's a bunch of classes there. I want to name, I know it's not related to this class, mm-hmm. but every month I do this other thing. I teach a free somatic basics class. Yeah. And anyone can come and we uh, drop in and we practice uh, noticing our reality about our nervous system. And we're mm. practicing noticing the body. And that's every single month. And that's there. And then there's another free class for folks who want to look at um, challenging and looking at um, racialized trauma and racism in our bodies. There's a free class on that. Now we do it. I mean, I'm really sad about this. We used to have 50 people, 40, 50 people in a class, you know, every month. And now we're almost two years out um, from George Floyd's murder. And the interest in looking at uh, racism and racialized justice has really dropped. Yeah. So now we offer that class quarterly and it's totally free again. So those classes are available. And I, I will just tell our listeners that I highly recommend it. So thank you. It's so wonderful. You did. I feel like what we try to do is my group that is working on healing uh, racialized trauma and racism. We meet weekly. And what we do in this free training is to help other people set up their own practice group to try to try to undo and look at what are the patterns of racism that we didn't want, that we didn't choose that are in our bodies, particularly for white body folks or mixed ancestry folks. This is about us kind of being willing to do our own work about looking at what like it or not, how we've absorbed racism, right? Right. And in the class, we try to give people the feel for how our group relate to each other. Right. And so I took that class and some of my, uh, co- some others took that class and we have formed our own group. And so we've been working together now for, I don't know, uh, at least six months. Um, and it's been really growthful and, and your group really gave us a, a template for that. So I appreciate oh, that you. we got to yeah, come we, and, Yeah. I, I just I hope other people join that. that too. Yeah. I love it. We liked the joke I had is like, cause I've been, we talked like recently about baking bread. Like, I feel like we're like yeah. trying to be like the sourdough starter, like to get you started, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for joining. Oh gosh. Thank you for I'm inviting really grateful. me. Yeah. I love your podcast. The way you show up is so relational and beautiful. You are really modeling mm. for your listeners, uh, compassion for yourself and others. Mm. It's truly a gift. Of Thank you, Terry. Thank you. Yeah. Learn more about my counseling practice, intensives, and online workshops over at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already, check out our sister podcast, Why Does My Partner? Why Does My Partner tackles questions from listeners who want help in relationship. These questions, your questions, send them in, are relationship gold. They echo the conversations that take place over and over again in our therapy offices and take us deep into conversations around the skills that are right at the heart of relationship intimacy, greater health, and fulfillment. Jules, Vicki, and I also offer essential skills relationship boot camps. You can learn more about those at whydoesmypartner.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your audio. We'd love if you follow and subscribe to the show, share it with those who may also be interested. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack, for this podcast, Sarah and Chris Ferris, who recorded and mixed this music at Kidney Stone Studio. And thank you, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to be on this journey with you. 
This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. And we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram over at Connectfulness. Take care and be well. Until next time. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com events.